0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us, and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. As we mentioned last week, Our book, Goldust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly, is now a year old, and we brought the podcast out afterwards, and we're really excited that we've got the Goldust courses and Goldust mentoring packages available for all of our listeners and anybody that's interested in them. For more information, you can head to our website, www.thegolddustcoach.com, and subscribe to get Emails and updates from us, and you can find us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. Now we're excited to introduce today's guest. It's not every day you get to speak to one of football's World Cup winners, and we were really fortunate to have a chat with Per Mertesacker, the current Arsenal Academy manager, and the World Cup winner from Germany's 2014 winning team. Per spent the vast majority of his career at Arsenal, making 156 appearances for the club, and also played for Werder Bremen and Hanover 96. He went on throughout his career to make 104 caps for Germany, featuring in three World Cups, winning the one, and finishing third in the other two. After retiring from playing, Per went into coaching and, as we mentioned, is now the academy manager at Arsenal. In this interview, he talks about his childhood growing up, his experiences playing at the professional level, including in the 2014 World Cup, and his roles and responsibilities as Arsenal's academy manager, including what he expects from the people that he works with. Per, welcome and thank you for creating time to be with us on the Golders Podcast today. Can you just share a brief summary of your formative years growing up? Yeah, so um,
1: I'm born in Hanover in Germany, and spent a lot of time with my family. I was very lucky to grow up in a little town near Hanover. And then my big passion or my family's passion was sports. So we were a really, really active family. So when I look back, um, I, when I was four, I started playing football, table tennis and tennis. And um, quite clearly I love team sports. So I, I stopped with football. And until I was 12, I played in a small t- town. And then I left the small town club and went to Hanover 96. So the biggest club in the region, basically. And at that time, they were in the equivalent to the League One side when you look at at, at English football. But um, I played in a youth setup for eight years before I made my debut for, at that time, a Bundesliga side in Hanover. So I spent uh, 10 years in Hanover, then went to... Werder Bremen when I was 20 and played my first World Cup, played some Champions League football for five years. When I turned 26, uh, I joined Arsenal Football Club, played there for seven seasons. And now I've, I've been the academy manager for two seasons now for Arsenal Football Club. So that was a quick uh, summary
0: of my life uh, until now. And I'm 36 now. We'll, uh, we'll be jumping <laughs> into some of those things very shortly. Now, you mentioned that your family were big in sports. Did your mum and dad have any involvement in sports as well? So, um, my dad was a
1: passionate coach and he played in the fourth league in Germany. So, he didn't reach top-level football, but he played a decent level of football. And then he went into coaching. So, he was my coach for the first six years, really, from four to ten. So, he really forced me to go to football, you know, when I was four. I think my desire to join football and to join forces there with a small team was, was rare. So I kind of related to him that he took, he took me under his wing, basically took me to football and educated me along the way um, how to defend, I guess. That's, that was my passion at the start. He said, basically, um, I didn't run, you know, after the ball, really. I was staying next to the goalkeeper constantly. And when there was a ball coming towards our own goal, I would then finally get involved. And what he would also say is that whether we would have lost or won a game, you couldn't see that, you know, after the game in my face on the way back, uh, traveling from games and two games. So I think he described me sometimes as a character who would be a little bit different to the others and then really calm down and really. Balanced, I would say so um, and my mom was sportive as well. She was um, into Nordic walking big time uh, into uh, Gymnastics, so and we would run every Sunday 5k 6k in the in the local park basically so there was a certain element of sport but regime as well in terms of the discipline that you need to uh, Contain when if you want to you know if you want to be fit, so that's what that was my upbringing basically
2: You've got a nice balance of disciplines. You've got family life, which we'll delve into a little bit now. You had a very special relationship with your grandparents on both your mum and your dad's side of the family. Yeah. Is it right on the 23rd of, the Dece- of December, the birthday of your granny, Erica, yeah. you have a, a family tradition?
1: Yeah, because <laughs> family tradition. Um, yeah, my mum has got 10 siblings. So, rightly so, on my granny's birthday, on the 23rd, we would all come together. So all brothers, sisters, all uh, cousins, basically, which were a lot, basically, would come together on that day and would celebrate um, granny's birthday, but as well the family um, itself. And as you can imagine, it's not always easy to, as we all spread out, you know, literally in the world, um, and the family and the family members, it was kind of tradition to all come together and then um, spend time together and kind of celebrate you know the the family and and, and being together. so that was one of the, one of the things I really enjoyed you know really enjoyed as a youngster, catching up with family uh, friends and cousins it was a major thing.
0: You mentioned when, when we were talking about your dad, for the first six or so years of you playing, he coached you. After that period, as a, as a young boy, did you actually grow up and dream of becoming a professional footballer? <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: um, no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, you know. I didn't dream that. That was too far away for me. I, I don't know if I was realistic in a sense of I saw other players who I believed that they will make it. That was my theme. I was realistic and seeing a gap between me and other talents, footballing talents, that they, that they were in a massive advantage. So I deemed to myself to feel, yeah, I'm a good sport, sports person. I love football. I love my team, Hanover. I love sitting on the, in the stands and, and cheering my team up. Um, I love my friends, I I actually enjoy my school, so always seemed to me my dad is my role model, yeah, coaching, but then he was working for a bank, so I actually wanted to come after him, basically, so that was realistic for me at that time when I was 10, and that evolved, even that thinking that evolved with 15-16, where you realistically look at other players next to you and thinking, they're going to make it, you know? That was kind of my theme. So my dream was to finish my A-levels, yeah. <laughs> that was my dream, basically. I had never uh, the other dream of professional football. I was too far away, and I don't know why. When, when I reflect back, that was quite healthy for me, actually, to, to have that in, in, in my mind at that stage.
0: Were, were there any defining moments in your life when you thought football was actually going to be your chosen profession? At what yeah. moment did you go, this is it, I'm, I can make it here?
1: I think the magic years, you know, and even in, in, in development itself, you know, as um, physical development, but as well, you know, you're realising you have a chance between 16, 17, 17 and a half. Where I made that step from, these, these are much better than me, these players towards I can keep up, you know, and that realization like got me when I was 17, 17 and a half. So that year between 16 and 17 was, was crucial to get the realization I've got a chance somewhere. I don't know where it took me in terms of, you know, this. I was really good at taking opportunities, you know, when I needed to perform, I performed without knowing it. When I needed to have a good training session, have a good game, when I was watched by people that I didn't know they were watching. I had this quality of performing, you know, in a certain friendly, in a certain preseason, when someone was watching. That was my biggest strength. And I think the magic moment was when I was in a game, it was somewhere in a game when I was young, playing for for a team, Hanover, in the youth level, let's say under 18s, where all of a sudden I thought during the game, actually, these other players, they're not quick anymore. They are first five, 10 meters. I can keep up. I can win a duel. I can play a pass. They don't overtake me anymore. I think that was that moment where where I thought now I'm gonna take my chance, you know, in this game because now I'm at the top. You know, I'm literally realizing I'm at the top end of the group. You know, why not me? You know, making steps forward. And actually, um, I think these were the key moments. You know, which were actually a lot. But, you know, that key moment within a game where I thought, I can keep up.
2: The interesting thing leading up to the those latter end of your teens, but the mid to early teens per going through a growth spurt. Mm. And actually in your book, The Big Friendly German, it mentions when you're 15 years of age and had issues with growing pains, missing lots of training, lots of games, your coach actually saying to you, listen, this is not going to work for you. And even your dad, uh, he said, your dad said you weren't going to make it. What was it like for you actually hearing all of that? What protected
1: me was not having that dream. You know, what I was just saying, you know, not having that dream of achieving it. It wasn't the biggest knock, you know, (laughs) because it could be, it could have potentially be, you know, your dad saying to you, you're not going to make it and I was saying so what you know it was not in my plans anyway Um, and actually what helped in that time was mom saying to me you know relax you know um, do your school take football as your hobby and we'll see so actually that balance and act of my mom was Mm -hmm. was crucial you know so when I look back and obviously I speak honest to my dad you know about these moments you know that really defined me you know looking back these moments really defined me and actually um yeah, maybe he, he claims now, you know, these were the moments to actually help you, you know, so it always turns round and round. But, but, but yeah, and I think, you know, looking to the system right now where I'm working is actually quite difficult. If I would have been in a position like here where you need to give scholarship when players are 15, basically, 15, 16, it's, it's kind of... um yeah, I'm, I'm contradicting myself, you know, with my own experience to making like early decisions, you know, where I just spoke about their sweet spot between 16 and 17. You know, how, do we allow, in, especially here in the system or in any system right now, for players to have the second route somewhere, you know, to sneak in into an academy system? Yeah, of mm-hmm. course, you know, you don't need to necessarily go into an academy system to be successful. There are different routes now, mm-hmm. um, but it's quite tough to make these calls that early. Because you, you can't really tell if someone maturated already, is, is there coming much still is there much still to come? So actually yeah, it was it was okay for me because I didn't dream about it, you know, because I wasn't like fixed in an academy system where everything was around football. I had two brothers, which was crucial, you know, we had totally different other other issues and problems within the family and my parents treated everyone the same. It didn't matter if I played for Hanover 96 or Patton's in the small town club or was just a swimmer as my older brother. It didn't matter to them. And that, that showed me as well, you know, treating everyone the same and towards their needs uh, is crucial and not putting everyone, someone in favour. So actually my upbringing and the, the, the way um, my parents treated us, um, all same and individual to our
0: needs, uh, was crucial. Hmm. I think that's going to relate to where I wanted to go next. You mentioned that when you first started playing, you stood near the goalkeeper and really, you could argue, formed what your identity would be as a a player. Because I know young kids generally, they go out on the pitch and every kid pretty much wants to go and score. And if they don't score, that's like the end of the world. Whereas you've gone on... (laughs) You stand next to the to the goalkeeper, and actually uh, you're stopping stopping team scoring now. You obviously formed your own playing style and identity at a at an age. So playing early, judging tackles correctly, yeah. and you mentioned being very balanced. Whether you win or lose, driving back in the car now. In terms of forming your playing style and identity, what what would you attribute that to?
1: Yeah, is that is a really good question. And you know, sometimes you ask yourself these questions, you know, even now when you look back and reflecting, yeah, standing next to the goalkeeper, securing, you know, like the, the areas you want to secure, um, is and then playing as a sweeper first, and then really taking advantage of the back four that was initiated when I were in these years when I was 17 years old, all of a sudden there was a back four and all of a sudden there was a big thing uh, where all of a sudden there was a right sided center half and would win every single header, would judge, make the right calls, make the right decisions on when to tackle, when to play in the zone, when to tackle a man, when to cover, when to man mark. It was just center half really suited my style, you know, before as as I would play like you had. Uh, two two players, two defenders against the man against the strikers, and me playing playing behind, and kind of you know anticipating you know when would the long ball come, when would we need to sweep, when I need to shuffle you know all these traits really put me in a position where uh, my presence physical and being vocal, having the overview really excelled my game to the next level where I could help a team to to win because we would be dominant you know and then um as well, the judgment of me being long and slow—you know—that was that is still um, goes until now, where you would look at results, you know, first ten meters. I, I was pretty quick, you know, in all the all the data I've 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 gathered, you know, over the years. So I would surprise people in terms of you know my my capabilities really because I was underestimated. So my my style, and then the biggest advantage I had with that style was. I played in the 23s for Hanover, 20 games. Did I need to change anything in terms of, you know, the tempo goes up with the leagues, but did I need to change anything in my game? Absolutely not. That was my biggest advantage. So I could, I actually played the same way I played in the fourth league or fifth league uh, for the 23s than for the weekend in the Bundesliga side. I didn't change anything. I, I, I don't know what, what helped me there, but I didn't change Anything. Obviously, you know, you need to kind of react quicker to things, but in terms of my style, um, how to read the game, I didn't change
2: anything. So, as a, a professional player, you're six foot five, centre back, and had an exceptionally, uh, an exceptional disciplinary record. He's 31 <laughs> games without being booked. And listening to you, where you're piecing it all together, the further you are away from the ball, maybe you're actually having more time to to see what's happening in front to adjust and adapt. What would you attribute that exceptional record to?
1: Yeah, so when I when I tackled and when I lost the duel, I actually got, you know, red cards. So I think I've got more red <laughs> cards than yellow <laughs> cards, which is quite significant. <laughs> I always seemed to understand that uh, set pieces are really dangerous, you know, especially around the box. So that was something really to recognize when to go into a tackle, when to clearly know when I would would win it. That was something uh, I took a lot of pride in, you know, you know, people would critique myself sometimes for not going into any duel, you know, like, so you have these, you need to keep that balance between, Um, your own strength and your ability to to win duels at the right time. But then as well, sometimes to be aggressive, you know, and in the right moments. So sometimes I would not have that balance, but, you know, I think I was pretty good at judging um, these calls in terms of when to go into duel, when would I win it and if I would lose it. So I just stay behind or run backwards, you know, not necessarily win it in that moment but maybe win it later. You know, I was pretty good in in judging and making decisions around those, those kind of scenarios.
2: Moving on to your club captain at Arsenal, you played 156 games for the club in the English Premier League, 104 international games for Germany. Can you share what the difference is between playing Premier League football and international football?
1: The Premier League is the fastest, quickest, most intense league, absolutely. Above Bundesliga, you know, that's what I experienced. I deemed that as as very different. It is difficult to compare them. They're so different culturally, but I would say intense-wise, up-tempo, up up and down, the Premier League is, is, is a beast. And I love it, you know, I love that I was part of that and I could spot the difference. International football, obviously, um, to club football, you come together, you know, a couple of times throughout the year. You have longer spells in the summer when you want to win a tournament. So um, is the ability for the players to adapt fairly quickly to a potentially new system and new principles. So, and I think with Germany, we were pretty good as a team to adapt, you know, individually and collectively to the changes and to the principles that we want to stuck to. Our discipline is, is world-class. Uh, I would deem that to be, and I, and I cannot share any experience with other countries, but what I can share is our adaptability um, to adversity, but then our discipline to really, you know, to really make it happen is, is outstanding. So I would say, but the Premier League still in terms of your your input and and just the tension around
0: the games are obviously very, very high. Like mentioned, 104 games for Germany, which it's a massive feat to be in the 100-cat club for such a, a powerhouse country is an unbelievable achievement. Now, we're going to touch on a couple of them here. So you obviously represented Germany, under-20 and under-21s, under you made your debut for the first team in 2004 against Iran. And yeah. you then established yourself as, as Germany's first-choice centre-back for 10 years. So you participated in the Euros in 2008 and 2012. And then three World Cups, 2006, 2010, came third. And then 2014, which you won. You obviously beat uh, you beat Argentina 1-0, actually win the World Cup. Looking back and reflecting on those experiences now, how have they helped to shape Per Mertesacker, Arsenal's academy manager?
1: Whoa. So there are a lot of experience in there. So you correctly said it was 10 years, you know, being part of the, of the national team cycle from 2004 to 2014. From the very first experience, you know, going to Iran, which was surreal for me as, a, as an individual, as a, as a person, not only to say as a player, but it was totally different experience to what I've ever experienced. And by me, just like, I was pretty good at adapting and balancing me off, you know you know kind of if you get the if you get the spotlight on you you know the the really something you you cannot take really i was pretty good and relaxing myself down you know somehow because that's the that's the massive thing even when you go when you travel with a national team you know the spotlight is on you 100 percent. and in 2004 i knew the world cup we knew the world cup would be in 2006 in germany so the amount of pressure on this team you could almost sense going through the Confederations Cups 2005 and all of a sudden you feel you're, you're participating in every single game. So the coach actually trusts you to build you up to play in the 2006 World Cup. That amount of spotlight and pressure really shaped me as a person because then I was able to reflect back with a... With the background I had, and really calm myself down, you know, to, in order to, to perform and not think I have achieved something. You know, I was really good at kind of adapting to the, to the spotlight of of the system, um, which is not easy in the in the current in the current climate. Because I say that there were no social media, but now the spotlight is on our our academy players when they are. 13, 14, literally. So, and when they get their first boot deals, they're the spotlight. When they get their first agents calling them or first marketing guys calling them, we need to build up a profile. That There's your spotlight 10 years before I first received the spotlight. My first shoe deal with Adidas when I had my first senior cap, basically. That was the reality back then, which then... <laughs> But I was much more mature to kind of balance that off and trying to, yeah, live with it and trying to get better and make the most out of my career. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would highlight the start of my national team career because, the, but there were lots of experiences in there. I, I could highlight and think about, you know, what that has made with me as a person who I am right now, that was a huge
0: spell of 10 years of experiences that I don't want to miss. And you did mention now it's a different landscape where you'll have young mid-teens, etc., getting boot deals. Now for you and your mid-teens, you nearly quit the game. And then you fast yeah. forward, 2014, you go and win the World Cup with your country.
1: Yeah.
0: How good of an experience was that? Yeah, actually, um, what led to
1: that experience was as well the 2012 Euros. I didn't play a single minute. So um, that was quite fascinating because I got injured in my first year in England. Guess what? Tempo, higher tempo, my body, my body needed to adapt. Um, and I had a serious injury, but I was able to join the, the squad. And I was a squad player and for the first time seeing how it is to be a squad player, you know, and making everything I could to help the team to perform and bring energy no matter what. That was actually the first time I experienced that. But from there, the motivation, I want to show that I can come back, you know, on the club side and for the national team. And I was, from that moment, I played a couple of my best seasons, I guess, with Arsenal, where we won uh, three FA Cups in four years. We won the World Cup in 2014. Um, I played consistently after not playing a single second throughout the Euros. I was able to retain my spot again, to kind of show myself that I can still do that. And then the the 2014 World Cup. You know, we, we had a we had a honestly we had a a, a great group of guys. You know, and um, you know, looking back to it, probably. Yeah, individually, you know, we had a couple of good players. But really, in South America, we didn't have any single chance. But, but we took it, you know, and that is kind of the DNA of Germany, of our culture and, and the discipline we had throughout the tournament on growing. Growing within a tournament, not playing well, but still winning. And then, you know, think about the semi-final, And I was even on the bench playing the second half. It was a group of people that respected each other in any sense of it. And everyone would respect it someone else to play in this position. That was kind of the takeaway. And once you stay in front of the Golden Cup, you know, you you kind of, you know, I don't know. It's a surreal feeling. And I was so happy to share with players and stuff, with the whole German nation. And it was the real time for me after 10 years to say, listen, this is it, you know. Let's give the young generation a chance, similar than I had when I was uh, when I was 20. So I retired actually when I was 29, which is fairly young. But at that time, I had a, I had uh, two sons already, and my wife was mad at me that I went to Brazil. Our second son was just born, so you kind of figure out the priorities in life. But you know, to kind of, you know, finish the ten years with a title was immense for me, um, absolutely immense. To, to look back at the time, um, to finish that over the cup because you mentioned we was we finished second in the Euros 2008, we finished third um in two thousand six and ten you know we we missed something, so that was that was really to accomplish something was was critical and
2: huge for us so you speak about that per, with pride the thing after winning something as prestigious as the world cup two thousand and fourteen you eventually have to go back to playing club football you then have to go back to playing for for arsenal. How did you find that transition of training and playing for your country and then going back and then coming back into the Premier League, training and playing with your club?
1: Yeah, that was tough. I mean, imagine um, 2014, we played until late mid-July, basically. And we knew from that time we would miss the start of the season because everyone was already training when we were celebrating in front of one million fans in Berlin. So it was really, really rushed to get our break that, at that time. But it was difficult because I retired and put ease to that national side. But then as well, you you come back as a world champion, you know, you've got to prove yourself again, you know, at the club stage. And the club demands now, yeah, they congratulate you, say, well done. But now it's Arsenal Football Club. Now uh, the likes of Messud, myself, we needed to really then nail it down, you know, uh, at club level as well. Um, so I would say it, it was not easy. It was tough. But luckily we won, yeah, we, 2014 and 2015, we won another FA Cup. 2017, another FA Cup, which was a, a decent accomplishment for for the level of um, intensity we went through. Imagine like Premier League season, you know, the quickest and most intense league in the world. And then you, you have another two and a half months in Brazil away. And then you recognise the others are training already in preseason we, we the, the game will the games will start in, in in three weeks, but we we have not finished yet. We're just celebrating our trophy that was that was really, really tough and you don't get an understanding you know it, 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 and I don't want to have an excuse once you step on the football pitch and we had a week of preseason basically, we played Premier League match against Everton. I remember I was completely lost, just lost in the fact that you know you were not prepared. It just we're not prepared. Body mind, not not rested and not prepared for, for Premier League football. But there's no excuse. Once you step on the field, um you gotta perform. And um we we not always did that, but at least at the end of that year we won another trophy uh, for Arsenal Football Club.
0: So your personal story from that young boy that went along with his dad to, through to the winning the World Cup, all the achievements you had at Arsenal. Do you feel that personal story has an, and can be useful for the academy work that you're doing?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a unique experience, you know, and what it gives me is, you know, knowledge, expertise about the game and what I feel is, is needed. But still, I need to understand, you know, the upbringing in London is totally different, you know, and we're trying to attract young talent from London. So I need to be able to get assistance, basically, with that, you know. Yeah, I I can speak about my own experience to help players to understand, you know, how a journey could look like. But ultimately, you know, they need to lead from themselves, you know, they need to lead themselves. I try to lead myself in a certain way, but everyone is different, you know, in in that frame, but everyone can believe a leader of self. That, that's my belief. So yeah, sharing stories, sharing good practice, hiring people that are equipped to do a brilliant job in London, in, in this big city of of a lot of talent. That is kind of the challenge. So and then for myself to have experienced Arsenal football club, what it means to play for it helps as well. All the values and standards we, we want to incorporate within our staff and players is something I can relate to. So all these things, um, yeah, help me in my job. However, I understand I'm, I'm a rookie as an academy manager. I need to learn and develop myself and understand what, um, how I can take advice from multidisciplinary teams, from academy management teams, from people that work around me. Because before it was just about me. How can I make myself, you know, better for the team? And now. Is similar, but you have more responsibility and one of, one of the other people are doing a good job, getting better. So it is, yeah, I feel I'm, I'm still a big role model, but there comes a lot more to it now uh, from the academy side. But actually, you know, when people respect you and know you for what you've done in the game of football and what you have achieved, yeah, there is a certain feeling I have, which is which is powerful. That you are doing a good thing and trying to educate and make sure that you kind of yeah give youngsters, you know, like a voice and a chance to express themselves. That's that's my
2: job. Having a having a rounded perspective on things, listening to your part. Were you working individually when you played? You were dealing, handling your own. Welfare, you've got, of course, you're trusting in others, the coaches and the staff that come with professional football. But you're not now. You're no longer a professional footballer. You're now a professional developer. But what are some of the issues you see with players coming through the system nowadays in regards to all-round care? Uh, I know when I was a young boy, I was an apprentice pro at Bolton Wonders. My dad couldn't take me to training one night. And my school teacher, he volunteered to drop me off. I know that has changed. Now we've got taxes, we've got food, the players get kit. And of course, we're dealing with the money aspect of it. So managing the player and parent guardian expectations, do you see that being problematic longer term for them?
1: Yeah, that is really a good question you know which we ask ourselves every single day what 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 is care you know what is care for an individual how do we make sure we we we, we treat everyone the same but different to their needs it is a big question and then Hitting on taxis, you know what? What are we doing? If we, yeah, we want to support, we want to care, we want to give, you know, as much as we can. But do we actually prepare them, you know, for for live gigs, or do we do? Do we prepare them for actually failing at one stage? Because at some stage there won't be taxis anymore. There won't. There just won't be that support uh, network from an academy. So we want to have well-rounded um, individuals who can rise to challenges as well, you know? And sometimes you need to take it by yourself, you know? You know, at one stage, you need to be able to do that by yourself. So I'm all for care in the right definition, you know? And I I don't deem to be care as taxis, money. I deem that in a program where we educate um, our players in the right amount for them to excel, you know? On whatever stage they want to be at. That's my, that's our ethos, I would say. Um, so, it, but it's a really good question. And, you know, you need, we need to reflect as well, you know, where do we put the money? Is it in taxis or is it in education? Or shall we take money from the taxis to the education? It's kind of these questions, um, they're with us every single day uh, because, yeah, we have more, much more stuff now who are who are really keen to educate and make sure our players are cared for. Challenge as well, but cared for. So that environment is is evolving, you know, in, in our academy. You know, the, the right amount of challenge and the right amount of support is an act of balance and and not always easy. So we we often fail as well, but it is it is it's not easy. So as I said, we're trying to provide challenge and care for them to be uh, well-rounded, and you know, accepting at one stage accepting the challenge they have for themselves. Um, but it, you know, we are here to support in in any sense of it, and and, and I think the
0: players know that. So with Arsenal, per, Mikel Arteta is obviously the manager. You, you hear the saying that he's a modern manager. You had a long, you've got a long-standing friendship with him which was built when you actually played as teammates at the Emirates. That relationship that you've built up with Mikel Arteta, is that a bonus for the academy players in being given an opportunity to train with the first team? Oh, he has certain demands,
1: you know, which which our relationship will not, um, you know, kind of tolerate, I would say, in, in a sense of that... He would just not. Maybe he would. He would. He would listen to my advice. You know, you need to have a look at this player. I would only do that if I have the feeling that a player person would met these would meet these demands. You know, so that puts um, a constraint and a responsibility on me and on him. But obviously, what, what helps us is the is our relationship uh, that we know what to expect from each other and that we hold each other to account. Which is um, for me trying to uh, performing on a high level. You know that's what what he needs, he wants from anyone working around him. That's what I respect, and that what needs to be respected by everyone who steps in the academy environment, but then in the first team environment. So I need to make sure I prepare them as much as I can for the demands of the first team environment, mm. and that is more than just hanging around and just, you know, being settled and you know, that that person in the first team needs to needs to challenge, you know, needs to challenge the status quo, needs to really focus on him developing every single day to be a better person and better player. Because that's what he demands. But obviously what what helps is, you know, our relationship and that we hold each other to account, you know, to to hit these targets and to hit values that we Literally stand for, and that we have learned from each other. So that that obviously helps, um, but there are no compromises in terms of you know that there will be more players just because of our relationship. I don't I don't think that I can say that.
0: Okay. Now in a recent article that we read with the training ground guru, you mentioned that every player should be a leader of themselves. <laughs> what is it you are conveying in this message yeah um that is really interesting and um,
1: um i had a couple of sentences here you know when when you heard me uh, before speaking about it um you know and and there's the there's the element of you know everyone is different yes everyone is different but everyone can be a leader of self you know that's what i believe to make the environment Himself and the team better. That's 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 something I I think is really important if you want to be successful in life in general. So if we're speaking about role models having a positive impact on 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 other people, you got to start with yourself, and you have to respect that. That's what I believe. Respecting yourself, looking in the mirror, and saying you know what have I achieved today? Have I done something good? Have I had a positive influence on the environment that is every day presented to me in a brilliant way. You know, the environment we're working in is, is fabulous. You know, can I I only appreciate that if I make the most of the day and if I if I respect myself in a way where I want to do good for myself and others. So there comes a whole lot to it. So if so that that is that is how I would I would tackle that question in, in, in terms of, you know, coming every day and appreciating the opportunities being given to me. I can only, you know, I can only respect that if I respect myself and lead myself in a way where I get every single thing out of this environment and the stuff that work around here.
2: Setting personal standards, which is a great advice to provide to every single player, male or female. But listening to what you're sharing there, when you look back at when you played in the Premier League and you look at the technical, physical, the psychological demands put on the current English Premier League champions, uh, sorry, Premier League and Champions League players, what character traits will a future player need to possess?
1: Wow. Um, you can clearly see that intensity um, is a key element you know, of the modern game, a key element of, of, of players you know, stepping up from the youth ranks towards Premier League level. There's an intensity um, that needs to be matched. You know? And I need to train, I need to eat, I need to, I need to live there every single day. You know, otherwise I cannot meet and beat anyone that is in that environment because I want to be better than my teammate. You know, to be able to to be in the team, so I can see the, the physical aspect growing. You know, the ability to to hit certain targets. You know, high speed running um, is one of those. You know, when I, when you look at high block pressing, you know the intensity that teams like Liverpool have been have been dominating for a reason. You know? And that is the ability um, to, to have an intense game plan. And Jurgen Klopp stood for that, not only in Germany, but now in England where he, he get a buy-in from players. You know? It's not only that a one single player believes that he needs to run a certain amount um, of kilometers. There's the buy-in that when we do that, we have a chance to win. When we do all of that, we have a chance to win championships. So there is certain elements that I believe that modern players um, need to not only understand the game but understand the intensity and what I need to do to be at the top level. And, and if I'm able to do that, I'm in a good position with the technical, tactical knowledge I've gained over years to be able to execute you know all the things um, that have been prepared with my, with my running with my. High-speed running ability. Hmm.
2: So, when we look at that, per, we're looking at the the sharp end of the game. So, Premier League, Champions League, in terms of foundation phase, and looking at look like players of players profiles, different sizes, maturation, development is all different. We only need to look at your personal history. Is there a are you shaping the I well, say so you're shaping you and your staff, shaping the the characteristics and shaping and developing practice designs to cater for the needs of the future player?
1: Um yeah, we're trying to be as precise but as well to be viable, you know, in a sense of that, yeah, foundation phase, you know. What what do we want from our players there, you know, in terms of that, is it just a technical understanding? Is it a technical element? Do we want them to have fun? You know what are the traits we want from every, every, uh, every single face, which is not always easy because they're not mini professionals. You know, so I, I, I don't want to hear like that they are mini adults or mini professionals. You know, they need to love the game, love the game of football, and never lose it because that is the that is on the edge. You know, at some stage. A lot of kids, they, they lose the love, you know, for the game or what they have been loving when they started, you know. You never never forget the roots or why you started playing football. You know, that is something that really interested me. But then obviously, you know, we want to we wanna present a framework where every single player works on their craft, you know, at one stage and make, sh- make sure we develop them as being effective as possible in a sense that, yeah, do we play one formation no we don't because players need to be adaptable you know that's the other trait of understanding the intensity of the game is players need to be adaptable you know is it the back three back five back four um i don't know you know P- players need to understand to be flexible and and take advantage you know so being really effective that's what we all the time speak about so is there a framework yes there is but there's always the freedom for the individual coach and player to make the most out of it
0: when we look at the number of players that are actually in professional academies talk, we talked we spoke about the character traits and what you're trying to do to get these players through to the first team but not all of them are gonna go on to represent arsenal football club how do you and Arsenal support the players that may not be ready yeah. to play for you yet
1: yeah, I think you know what we want to do is obviously you know players for the first team, players for the world of football, and then players that're not going to make it. how do we make them aware that they need to be lifelong learners you know constantly and not only living on the on the on the understanding that my, my my table is only built of one foundation that is football. That will collapse, you know? So the education starts when they enter the building at the age of nine. Only 1% or even less than that make it to the professional game, you know? That is an understanding and an education that starts at under nine level. But the perception is, I'll be the 1%. Because, you know, at under nine or at under eight, you know, the pre-academy level, the players and parents, the talented players, they have a chance to to go to five different academies. So you you, you you have the biggest transfer market at under eight where you're trying to secure talents, but then you give an expectation to parents and kids that they're mini-professionals, mini, mini, I don't know, that they make it, but they're, not, they're they're less than 1% make it from there. So we cannot forget the, the love and, and the experience, you know, that we want to provide. And we take a lot of players on, you know, until they turn out to be scholars or professionals and even professionals. We want to take time for them to go on a journey um, where we now started to see a lot of players going on out loan you know, the ones who cannot, you know, go into the first team or to train in straight away. We're trying to seek out different routes for players to make experiences, you know, to understand what real football looks like, feels like in a different environment than academies. So these are vital experiences and and players will suffer. They will experience differences they cannot get on with. But these are the learnings we need to go through in order for them to be prepared for the challenges in life. So, yeah, we're trying to give perspective Constantly, you know, in academy football because that's, that's needed. But it's as well difficult for people to understand and to be aware because, as I said, a lot of parents, players think they will make it to the game. But the numbers um, show totally different traits. So, yeah. And on top of that, we, we, we take a lot of pride in our education system um, which says you need to build more blocks than just one that is football. You need to develop a sense for for yeah an education um, that we invest a lot of money in. So, we offer free education and extended education once they've finished their normal BTEC or even A-levels. Um, we offer more than um, just a basic programme.
2: So, managing expectations is key, it's crucial, educating the players. Uh, we, we educate the players. Obviously, the, you've got your staff and your coaches which have been selected for specific reasons. There'll be a variety of different experiences within that within that current uh, 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 group of staff you're having around you. But one one piece of the jigsaw puzzle that I'd like to just delve into, if I may, is... What about the parents? What advice would you give to parents or guardians who have a, a son or even a daughter in an academy system?
1: Yeah, uh, relax. Relax. That is my biggest advice. <laughs> relax. And, it, and I feel it by myself. Once my, my, once my, my boy kicks the ball, I've got, I raise expectations straight away, you know, and I'm trying to avoid as much as I can make myself aware yeah I love it when he kicks the ball but actually you know and then I think about how might his journey look like being a professional player that's totally wrong and I should and he needs to get on he needs to find coaches people he works he loves working with and just let him do what he's doing you know and interfere the least because our kids they learn so much from ourselves we are the biggest role models once we start blaming coaches and not being happy with things and moaning to the referees and just being not kind to people. And it's just, it trickles down and our kids will absolutely do the same. And that is the danger of, of, we need to be aware that our behavior will go to our kids. So that's why I I say relax as much as you can. And it's not easy. I I slowly understand it because their, their expectation, if someone tells you, you know, at the certain club, we have this, 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 we offer you this, this, this. It's really difficult, it, it raises expectations where you think you have achieved something. So, um, yeah, um, I would say relax, that would be my only advice I would give.
0: Now, per final question for you, in what's been Tremendous. We could have gone down so many paths and asked so many more questions, but we're mindful of your time. This game, football, it touches so many people's lives in such a profound way. It ignites a passion. It it changes people's lives. It can create division. And as you experienced personally, it can bring nations together. How has it touched your life? Massive. That's why I'm still in the
1: game. Because I want to affect the next generation. To give back is really something that always trickles me because of the situation I'm in right now. And I'm I'm trying to help people understand, you know, what what football can be and what, what football can teach you. You know, as a kid, I learned a lot. You know, now I'm in a position where I learned a lot. Trying to make sure that people understand what it can do and to unite people with all the different ethnicities all the different interests all the different religions all the different groups we have a big job and journey in front of us we need to take seriously and i am I'm, I'm really happy to be part of that journey
2: uh on behalf of myself and david can i thank you for creating the space to be with us today it's been Wonderful listening to your stories when you first started off, your family, the tradition, sharing with us, our players, how you feel people need to be treated. So thank you ever so much for this time and good luck and keep up the good work. Thanks, both. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for tuning into to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com